You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. This episode of No Love Lost is brought to you by FredHeBakes.com. That's right, that's FredHeBakes.com. Guys, Fred's BS has been a friend of the podcast for a long time, and Fred has recently rebranded his site. Now, uh, instead of going to fredsbs.com, go to fredhebakes.com. That's F-R-E-D-H-E-B-A-K-E-S.com. And go and order yourself some brown sugar buddies, guys, because it's a delicious treat. Fred's cookies are the best around, and if you use the coupon code No Love Lost, that's No Love Lost, all one word, you will get 20% off of your order. And if you're looking for other ways to support the podcast, head on over to thepodcastjukebox.com and get yourself some No Love Lost merchandise, like a No Love Lost t-shirt or a Crazy About Kurt t-shirt. Guys, we can't thank you enough for sticking with us. I can't believe it. It's the start of season three, and I'm super excited to get to some really terrible episodes. I think this is the season with Jack's tattoos, which is actually an episode I've never seen. So, guys, we are we are in for an interesting roller coaster ride this season. So, I just wanted to say thanks again for sticking with us. No matter what the next season brings, you know what, guys? If you stick with us, it's going to be a good time. So, we really appreciate you all. Thank you so, so much for listening. On that note, Michelle, if you would be so kind. Let's go to the island. I would like to see the polar bears. There was a crash, and there are others, and there are numbers, and it all means something supposedly, but even though there are times we go back. Well, look, I, no matter how many times you ask me, I'm not going back to your book club. I'm not... <laughs> I'm not asking. <laughs> Wait, the book club is required attendance? The book club is required attendance. Okay. You're lucky we like this book. <laughs> Welcome back to No Love Lost, the podcast where we break down each episode of Lost I'm Will Lincoln with me as always. Megan Salinas. Hey, everybody. And we're here to break down Season 3, Episode 1, A Tale of Two Cities. Another Dickens reference, two episodes in a row. I was gonna say, it's interesting. <laughs> um, But more importantly, we're a third of the way through this podcast. That's weird. That's a weird thought. Well, what are we going to do? Like, it, the time has just flown by. We're not halfway through yet. <laughs> not even close. It is funny, though, because we're like, we'll get to that in a couple years. We'll get to that in a couple years. And here we are at the start of season three. I kind of thought this would never happen. Now, I'm kind of excited about season three in one way. Because if you were to put a gun to my head and say, what's your least favorite season of Lost? I would say season three. <laughs> And it's mostly because of the first, I don't even know if it's properly divided in half, but the first part of the season, which is what we're in now, <laughs> when we're in where Jack and Kate and Sawyer 
or held hostage. And and on look, and when I say it's my least favorite part of the series Lost, that's like, you know, it losses like sex and pizza. Even when it's not that good, it's still pretty good. So continue. So I'm excited to see if the opening of season three, which is the thing I've complained about, where the writers were kind of stretching the story out before they had a definitive endpoint given to them by the network or allowed to be given by the network. I'm curious to see how this stuff is going to play to me in this rewatch. I'm trying to keep an open mind. I mean, we talked a little bit at the end of the last episode. I'm trying to keep an open mind about Juliet, and I'm trying to keep an open mind about the rest of the series as a whole. But I could already feel it watching this episode. I'm like, oh, we're in for a rough patch. We're in for a rough patch. And I'm hoping that by the time we get through this season, I can look at the the season for its merits over its shortcomings more than anything else. But I can already feel it. And I'm like, oh, no, the honeymoon phase is over. Because even though season one and two had their flaws, they were still remarkable seasons of television. A a (sighs) lot of times with a show, when you divide the characters, when you keep them separated for too long, it becomes a problem. I see this with The Walking Dead big time. Honestly, yeah. Yes, this episode reminded me a lot of the last episode of The Walking Dead that I watched, which um, was several seasons ago, where, like, literally the last episode of The Walking Dead I actually sat down and watched was when Daryl was being held captive by Negan. And after that, my drive to watch it's not that I think it's a bad show, but my drive to watch it immediately diminished because I had so much other things going on, and that episode was a whole lot of nothing happening. Uh, the beginning, I will say this, the beginning of the season of Lost isn't nearly as tedious as a show like The Walking Dead, which is a show I still watch, but I will tell you is fucking tedious. <laughs> but, um, you know, maybe I shouldn't say so much. Maybe I shouldn't complain about because we're doing a rewatch, and in my opinion, could change. I, I, I will think it's say fair to, to lay out our expectations and be like, this is what I think it's going to be. I hope I'm is, wrong. There's some greatness in season three, though. And I would also say the final episode of season three is like a top five lost episode of all time. Is that the constant? No. Do we get the constant That's in, this in season, season four? Damn it. Which is my <laughs> wait, favorite Do season. we have to wait a whole nother season before we see Desmond again? No, 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 no. You will see uh, Desmond again. Thank so, you. Thank you, Lord. I was so upset a, for a minute. He's a regular cast member. But let, we should get into this episode. Uh, just in case you can't tell already, spoiler alert, if this happens to be your first episode of No Love Lost, spoiler alert, we talk about the whole series. We're not holding back on spoilers, so you've been warned. Um, this is interesting. Uh, this episode had a story by credit. It's story by Damon Lindelof and the teleplay by Lindelof and J.J. Abrams. Huh. Yeah, it's interesting. It's in- <laughs> huh. What does that mean, Will? I. What does this mean? Because I don't... Uh, 
I don't see this episode as something that feels particularly J.J. Abrams. No, it doesn't. the, The closest thing I can come up with just off the top of my head is like, hey, J.J. Abrams sort of had a producer credit on 10 Cloverfield Lane, which kind of feels a little similar to this if you take out everything interesting about 10 Cloverfield Lane. Love 10 Cloverfield Lane. No, no, that's what I'm saying. No, I love I just, 10 you Cloverfield saying Lane. It just, I wanted to say that because <laughs> we were talking about Mary Elizabeth Winstead before the podcast. And... Uh, off air, we were talking about her and yeah, love 10 Cloverfield Lane. It's so good. But, um, I mean, the opening of this episode feels a little like but i mean it just feels as much lindelof as it does abrams at this point because there is like a mystery box element to this episode to be honest i don't know who this feels like like in terms of like whose writing style it feels like and this is where i'm kind of talking about what i'm kind of talking about like all of a sudden i feel like we're in a I feel like the the issues with the network are almost readily apparent. Not from the cold open. The cold open, I think, is awesome. Yeah. But everything that comes after that feels like we've just hit the brakes, man. And I don't know what to That's make a, of it's it. It's a big. It's a big problem with the first at least third of the season. And uh, who? I, which executive at ABC I think, do I have to blame? But for you want to know what? I think you're right. I think. And again, I don't know how much is this us anticipating. A rough beginning to the season, and we're looking for things, or if it is, like you're saying, I think that's a really good point, that it's a little voiceless, and it's interesting that J.J. Abrams comes in. J.J. Abrams, who, let's face it, has a history of no one can start something off better than J.J. Abrams. And no one can blow an ending <laughs> like J. James. And I'm not even talking about I'm not even talking about the obvious Star Wars-ness of what I'm saying. Even if you look at like his two Star Trek movies, there is a a vast difference, I think, in quality between between them. Or you look at a movie like um uh what was Super Eight. Yeah. Which is a great setup, Spielbergian setup for a movie that did not know where it was going or how to end that thing. The... And that, that's a weird thing because that was a big movie that felt very Spielberg-esque that nobody talks about. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody nobody mentions it anymore. I feel like it had like a, a good swell of discussion like right around the time when it came out. And ever since, it's kind of fallen into obscurity. And it was like, J.J.'s going to be the next Spielberg. Which is weird, too, because it was kind of like a precursor to Stranger Things. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, like, yeah. hey, we're, we're doing a return to the kid adventure thing. Uh, and, and yeah, nobody talks about it anymore. Because um, it's, it's just okay. The, uh, it, it's so... <laughs> now, here's the thing. Enough and I know that this, J. J. this seems like a weird thing for me to say but endings are hard it no. is it can be you know, i mean you understand this as a writer endings are very difficult and there are pros and we've talked about this before to an extent there are pros and cons to having an ending planned prior to finishing out the rest of your story and there are pros and cons to just kind of organically seeing and, where the story goes and it's harder on television where you have so much time to play with yeah. that than it is on on in, and, in a book or a movie. And I, I will say to J.J. J. Abrams' credit, it is 
far easier to start something than it is to wrap it up in a satisfying manner. And J.J. Abrams excels at interesting setups. And it is, I, I will be the first to admit that wrapping up a series or a book or any sort of story, it can be very, very difficult. And, you know, <laughs> Lost is, I think, a good example of a difficult ending with all, all, the, all the different things that they had set up. I would not have envied anybody in the position of trying to wrap up everything yes. for Lost. But that being said, like, this, this episode, to just go back to the whole teleplay thing, this doesn't feel particularly J.J. Abrams. This doesn't feel like the quality that Lindelof we've come to expect from him. I don't know what this feels like. Well, because it doesn't feel, <laughs> other than the fact that it's season premiere, and other than the opening, which I think will get to, I think we'll do the opening before we do the flashback. I think that's fair. Um, The opening is the the thing that feels most important. That's the thing, that's the only thing that feels like it feels like it's lost. You you want it to have Lindelof in there, his touch or whatever. Uh, The rest of it does feel like a writer's room more than like like the vision of the creator of this show. No, Um, this cold open Feels like lost. Yes. I don't know what the rest of this episode is. Uh, it's directed by Jack Bender. We should say the the greatest he's, of all the he's lost directors. Fine. He's great. He does. <laughs> he does. He's done so many good episodes up to this point. Like, I'm not gonna say that the direction of this episode was bad. I just I don't know what it was <laughs> after that cold open. So let's talk about the cold open because this was another thing of when I saw this, my mind like exploded because. I knew the others were faking it, but I didn't realize they lived in, like, suburban harmony. Now, this is an opening that is um, very reminiscent of the season two opening. It's like, here's this domestic situation. New character. And all of a sudden, you know, it it only takes a a couple minutes before we zoom out of the, the picture and we realize oh, this is a completely different angle than what I thought I was looking at. So we meet Juliet. And it was another one of those things that's opening, like literally an an eye eye opening. Um, And immediately we're like, who is this woman? Where are we? And it's like, why are we in this suburban world? Because we've Uh, never seen her before. No. Um, um, and, and you know, to season two's, um, to the opening of season two, like just to compare it, like we didn't get a clear view of Desmond during that opening. He his face was left obscured, um, but it de- like we spend a good chunk of like after the o- eye opening thing, just like zooming in on this lady's face. Um, Juliet's played by Elizabeth Mitchell, who is now a regular on the show. Um, you said something I've thought about a lot, actually, about your feelings on Juliet. Uh, you were complaining because she's a very withholding character. She's a very – and that that gets very frustrating. And I think my – I don't think I loved Juliet necessarily in season three. I don't think I disliked her, but I don't think I loved her because of that. And I was thinking about your thoughts on it. I was thinking about my thoughts on Anna Lucia. And how I feel like I've come to the conclusion if we had another season of Anna Lucia, I probably would have been on board and I would have forgotten things I disliked about her. And I wonder if on season three rewatch, 
if I'm going to see all the things I didn't like about Juliet, but my love of season four and five, which are some that, for now, you have some difficulty with, <laughs> um, made me love Juliet so much. Now, um, to that point, uh, like, there is plenty in this episode that reminds me of why I disliked Juliet as a character. However, again, as I am making a point of saying that, like, I am keeping an open mind about this character, I can already see tiny, tiny little instances of, like, oh, no, this woman's awesome. It's just, she's a, like, there are instances in this cold open and even throughout the episode where it's like, no, this lady's cool. She's just in a shitty situation. And I'm hoping that by the time we get through season three, I can let go of this shitty situation that makes me dislike her. I, I hope I can let that go for the aspects of her that are cool and entertaining to watch. She has, look, I mean, I think her character suffers from the same thing that the season suffers from in that, the season we haven't even talked about yet, <laughs> uh, that they had to stretch so much stuff out. So she couldn't be as open about it's, certain things. It's like her character is a casualty of what was going on in in terms of, like, the, the writer's... But, um, going back and forth with the network. I will use the term casualty loosely only because I love this character at the end of the I'm, day. No, 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 I, no, I, I'm I know, not, I know. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not dissing you for liking the character, but it, in terms of, like, my mind, I never got over those hang-ups of her introduction and the way she is presented throughout this entire season. Because this entire season, she's like, you can trust me, you can trust me, when you can't. And, again, I know it's not her fault because Ben Linus is an evil asshole. But, like, at the end of the day, she goes, you can trust me, and you can't. And it made me hate her. So let's talk about her opening now. Let's let's really dive into it. So we see her. Uh, and you can always go downtown. downtown. She puts downtown <laughs> on. She's crying. Um She's, you know, she's getting ready for her. I her... can't go downtown. There's no downtown to go to. She's clearly, there is something weighing upon this woman. Uh, she's forgotten to take the, the, the muffins out of the, 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 the oven that burnt. Oh, it's a mess. But She then, burns her hand trying to get them out in a panic. But then a very nice older woman shows up for book club. Now, this is... This is something that I'm like, uh, this is one of the things that made me really surprised when we find out we're still on the island. Because just like, I don't expect to see cute little old lady going like, hey, I'm here to come visit. <laughs> also, where are they getting copies of all these books? They got to they gotta, they gotta figure Probably this. like the same way they obtain people's medical records. Well, I mean, we know they, we know they can leave the island. We know yeah. they have the, but I just think, I just think it's funny that like, you got to plan like, some time in advance like we're gonna be doing this book next month so when you go like pick <laughs> up uh, you know pick up uh, uh, 20 copies of Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian or something like we're that we're doing good omens next time I host <laughs> so pick up some Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett 
but their read is the bait at the beginning of this episode is kind of fun because the book they are reading mm-hmm. and it's one of the few times a character on <laughs> this show is because there's a lot of characters reading a lot of stuff on the show it's one of the few times they're reading a book I've actually read and it's Carrie same I have read this book and um, this is one of the things where I didn't have this context the when Lost initially aired I'd seen the movie but I had never read the book having read the book now and having Juliet look at this guy who's calling it popcorn trash and having her go this book is my favorite book it's awesome and i'm really glad you hate it like one it makes me go okay i think i could like juliet and then two it also makes me go i think this is also one of the few maybe it's because i i haven't read a ton of the the books that characters within the show are reading but this is one of those times where i'm like oh, this actually does tell me something really significant about her character. Because, Will, what is that book about? It's about a, uh, a, a high school girl who's, you know, she's got a religious zealot mother. She's very, uh, she's very awkward. And then, you know, she, uh, she has her period. <laughs> <laughs> and develops uh, psychokinesis. That's, that's not necessarily the plot synopsis I would have gone with. <laughs> the plot synopsis I would go with you is here's, here's the here's the. She's a well. She's into womanhood. Was yes. when she develops these powers. Yes, but here's the thing: it's this story of a young woman who is in a very confining situation. Someone tries to do something nice for her and somebody else decides that she doesn't deserve that. And so does something mean to her. And what does Carrie get to do? She exacts bloody revenge upon all who wrong her. And that, like, unlike the movie where it's just confined to the high school, in the actual book, not only does she take down the high school, she decimates that entire fucking town. Spoiler alert for the book, by the way. For a, a book that came out in the 70s. Yeah. Um, you should have seen it by you now. You should have seen it by now. Or you should have read, read it, it, by, read it by, by now. <laughs> you should have listened is, to the audiobook, which is what but, I did. But that's it's it's funny because I've, I read the book once, probably in middle school, and I've seen the movie like, three or four times so i think of it in the movie down. well i mean and it, even though it ends in tragedy for that character anyway like that has that tells you a lot about juliet's situation she identifies with a character in a confining situation who the- then exacts revenge on the people who wrong her i think that says a lot about juliet's current circumstances um, or at least her desired, like, wish fulfillment. Like, if she had psychic powers, I feel like Ben Linus's head would have exploded at some point. Who is this pretentious guy at the book club who's like, this is popcorn trash? These people... He got- called it, like, religious, like, hokum something or other. And I'm like, uh, did you read the book? <laughs> he, I mean... You, you dingus? But he says Ben wouldn't have liked it, and that's why Ben's not there. And this, I believe, is the first time he's been, he's been referred to ben. as Ben. Yeah. Um. So we don't know who Ben is at this point. And then all of a sudden, the house starts shaking. Yeah. So what is this? An earthquake? Where? Because we don't even know where we are. Mm. And 
that shaking is when Desmond didn't push that button in time. <laughs> Meanwhile. <laughs> he didn't hit that button There's a in system time. failure in the hatch. And they run out, and they're all, like, looking around. And who do we see with a creepy music cue come out? Ben comes out of a house, and it's like, what is happening? Where are we? And we look up in the sky, and we see the plane yep, break see- apart. Which, I will be honest, you know what? Not bad CGI for the time. And Ben immediately is like, Goodwin. And we see Goodwin. <laughs> I, I like the moment where Ethan comes up from, like, under the house. Because he was, like, working house. on the plumbing He or was something. working on Juliet's plumbing. And he's like, <laughs> Ethan, you go to the beach. Goodwin, you go to where that tail section landed. There could be survivors. Uh, doesn't want them to get involved. Wants them to just pretend to be survivors and make lists. He wants lists. And then he looks at Juliet and he sees she's got Carrie in her hand. And he goes, guess I'm out of the book club. Which, come on, Ben. You were just looking for any excuse not to have to read Carrie. <laughs> you ben, monster. Ben and Juliet have a complicated, combative relationship. Mm. And we get that right from the start. We get that there's already he trouble in other immediate, Yeah, before before stuff like goes goes south, like he's already like not showing up to her hosting book club. He's already, you know, shown to be refusing to uh read the book that she reads. Um and like that other guy saying well Ben wouldn't have liked it comes off as very sycophantic. It's like, oh, like, well, we we need we can't make Ben unhappy. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot to dig into just in this one opening, just in their back and forth, and we get it a little later in the episode too. Um, you know, the only other scene that you know they only shared two other scenes together later in the episode. Um, but yeah, they, ooh, there is a hostility there. There is a hostility there. So let's go to the flashback now. Okay, do we have to? <laughs> yeah, I, I admit this flashback is 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 rough because we're not really learning too much new about Jack, in my opinion. We're just it's Jack back on his bullshit, basically. Yeah, it's. I mean, the whole point of this flashback is illustrating his inability to let go and how at the end of the episode he is then at least able to let go of this one particular issue. (laughs) He still can't let go because he's still a very stubborn man, but he was able to let go of this one thing. So let's let's talk about it. We first see Jack. He's uh, clearly stalking his ex-wife Sarah. She's... And she's at, like, a, a school playground, and she's talking to a man. A little flirty. We don't know what their relationship is. No. No, we have no idea. I, we're meant to infer, like, oh, is this the guy she was having an affair with? We don't know. We don't know. Jack doesn't know, and that's what's going to drive Jack insane. Now, can I ask a question? Yeah. Has Jack ever been more unlikable than he was in this moment where you find out he's fucking stalking his ex? I mean, then in this moment? Yeah, later in the episode. <laughs> uh, later in this episode. Like, literally, the next scene we're about to jump to. Um, and look, I am all for 
flawed, deeply fucked up characters. I mean, I I love The Sopranos. I love Breaking Bad. What are those shows if not? I love Mad Men. What are those shows if not about people like that? I think the problem with with this is we we we've already seen Jack at really low points. This is just reiterating those feelings, and it's spinning the wheels on the island story that we're very invested in wanting yeah. to know what's going on. Um, so Jack shows up with no lawyer to their like divorce like proceedings or whatever um which is ridiculous and, and it's, it's weird too like when he when he first sits down he goes you look pretty like that is not that is not a way to say hi in this situation um jack basically he wants nothing to do with the he wants he just wants a name he wants this is all like he just wants a fucking name of the guy and what I do like about this what I do like about the flashback and what I do like about the direction of it is that there are moments there's one with the father later there's one with uh, uh, Sarah right now where she's on the phone and she lets out like a little laugh and we're seeing it from Jack's perspective and we are seeing it drive Jack crazy because yeah. he doesn't know what it is. Like, are they it laughing feels, at him? It feels like it's at his expense. It feels like Carrie. They're all going to laugh at you. <laughs> They're all going to laugh at you. They're all going to laugh at you. Yeah. They're all going to laugh at you. Um, but, <laughs> but she's not going to tell him because it's crazy. and It's none of his business. It's none of his business. And he just acts. Crazy. He's insane at this he point. He starts cold oh, calling all the names from her cell phone that I guess he's got on like a bill or whatever. He's calling all the names. Now, like, it's funny because in the opening where, where he's just kind of where he's hanging out outside of her, wherever she's hanging out. I don't necessarily think it's her workplace. Um, but when he's... Initially hanging out there, I was like, okay, like, that's not great, but it's pretty passive. It's a passive thing that he's doing. This moment, this was messed up. This was really messed up. And his father walks in and is like, what are you doing? Yeah, this feels illegal. (laughs) Sarah's worried about you. She's calling me. She's calling you? Like, he's getting all up and on. And then, you know, Jack gets to one number on the list, calls it, and his dad's phone rings. Which makes me go, uh, do you not know your dad's number? Or does the name appear differently, like, on this list? Like, it was, like, is the call coming in a coincidence? Like, um... Did I miss this? Did I miss something? Yeah, he, he called, like... Or maybe, maybe he wasn't on the phone... But, like, as Jack is checking the list, um, uh, Christian's phone rings. Yes. And, that it, I... and, yeah, it makes Jack go, who's that? Like, it yes. makes him super paranoid. saw that. But I, I, I wasn't sure that we were to infer, but maybe we are. Uh, yeah. Uh... Um, but it's another moment where he sees his father laughing on the phone. He feels it's directed at him. And, of course, he must be talking to Sarah. And if he's talking to Sarah, he must be sleeping with Sarah. 
Like, Jack... Jack does, is really good at mental gymnastics. <laughs> and the thing is, like... Because these are two different scenes, because he doesn't answer the phone here. Um, but later on, um, when Jack is talking to a, um, a, a fellow doctor or a nurse, um, he sees his dad in the hallway take a call. Okay. Maybe I'm conflating or confusing those two. Moments. I mean, they, they kind of run together because they're both at the hospital. Um, like, Christian Shepard has done some lousy things. He's but I, terrible. But I don't believe he would sleep with his son's wife i don't either and in fact like this episode makes christian shepherd you know this is i feel like where we start to reframe christian shepherd uh because christian shepherd's a terrible father and a terrible person but i feel like from here on out we're gonna start reframing him so that it's less shitty that he shows up at the end of the series because you know he's clearly trying to be a better well person yeah and i mean moment. his relationship with jack is tumultuous but it's important and I, and I do think they care about each other in their way um so jack follows christian Turns out he's going to an AA meeting. Yeah, and that's what I mean. I'm like, Christian's trying to be better. Uh, but Jack, you know, busts into the meeting. The people are like, oh, you're Jack. We've heard about <laughs> you, you. This maniac immediately busted into the middle of our meeting. You must be Christian's son. <laughs> he starts accusing him of trying to sleep with his wife. And then he physically attacks his father. Now, um, something they point out is... Um, he, you know, they're like, oh, we've, we've heard a lot about you, Jack. And he's like, oh, like, what all did you tell them, Dad? What did you tell them about my marriage? Da-da-da-da-da. You know how my dad deals with his marriage? He's, like, throwing his father under the bus. He, like, not understanding that he's at an AA meeting. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, he, he consoles himself with a bottle every single night. And they're like, uh, your father's been sober for, like, 50 days now. And Jack just kind of laughs, like... Do you think Jack actually believes that his father has been sober for that amount of time? Or do you think he doesn't care? I think it's a... Because, like, it's we a, know Christian Shepard's also a liar. Even if he is now, <laughs> that's not going to last. <laughs> I think it's kind of a dismissive of the, the repeated behavior that his father uh, 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 finds himself in all the time. And Jack attacks his father yeah and this act physically assaults him this act both lands jack back in jail but christian back drinking yeah yeah uh even yeah even if he had lied about being sober for that amount of time it doesn't matter he's off the wagon now but who comes to bail jack out Sarah. Sarah. Because Christian drunk called her. He drunk dialed her. <laughs> and only making Jack more suspicious. <laughs> uh, but Jack gets out of the, the jail. He follows her like because she, she clearly didn't want to be followed. She tried to get out like, of there. She's uh, like, your dad called me drunk and um, okay, bye. <laughs> but she's, she's in tears. And Jack uh, sees her with a guy there's a guy waiting for him but we don't see who it who it is 
Did we not see the... I mean, but I don't think it's anybody. I think this is a guy. Yeah, I think it's just a dude. And Jack's like, is that him? And she says to Jack, it doesn't matter who he is. It just matters who you're not. Mm-hmm. Which is both extremely true and a sick burn. And then she... Oh, she follows it up with an even sicker burn. Yeah, because then we're talking about how the father's drunk. And she says... Now you have something to fix. Oh! <laughs> no, like, that was the point where I'm like, oh, so she's being a shitty person here, too. Uh, uh, he has that coming. He does, he does, he does. She has every right to lash no, out. I he's mean, being he's, crazy. He's stalking her. He's calling all the people in her phone. Um, he assaulted his father. Like, he he deserves it. He, and he, you know... As bad as it is that she's cheated on him, and don't get me wrong, it is bad. We we talked about this. He also cheated on her, and even though he came clean about it, like, almost immediately, like, uh, because it was, like, a heat-of-the-moment type of kiss, he did technically cheat on her, and then, like, but then has the, the audacity to, to act all affronted about her cheating on him. I don't know. It, it's... It's all messy. It's all messy. It's all upsetting. It's none of it's good. <laughs> this is all bad. So that's a flashback. Yeah. What did we learn, Will? We learned that Jack needs to fix things. We knew that, but yes, we did we, re- relearn that. Yeah, we learned that uh, he can't let go of certain things. He's very stubborn. Another thing we knew. Yes, 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 yes. Um... <laughs> My point is, like, we're not really yeah, learning I know. a whole lot yeah, of new information. Yeah. But also, like, maybe, oh, man, Jack is an obsessive, like, but, go ahead. But you're right, it does set up some growth on the island. Yeah. I mean, that's growth. that's the, the point of this TD's flashback, and, and this is why they changed up the format eventually. Um, but, like, the point of this TD's flashback is... Not only to remind us of all this stuff we maybe forgot during the break, because this is the start of a new season, but also to illustrate his inability to let go versus what ultimately is important to him on the island here and now. We don't learn... Yeah, I feel like by season three, we're just getting a lot of the ideas in the flashbacks reinforced. Yeah. As far as I remember... And I might be proven wrong. The, the only flashback that sticks out in my mind, besides the terrible things about Jack's <laughs> tattoo, which we'll get to, but, but is this is also the season where we find out how Locke got in a wheelchair in a flashback. Okay. And that's an important, even though it doesn't necessarily tell something new about the character, that's an important piece of information yeah. that we've been lacking. However... It, it really, at this point in this, this, the show, it, the flashbacks are just reinforcing ideas we have yeah. about these characters. Here's here's the, and I don't necessarily think it had to be that way. I feel like we could have. You know, we're painting the season yeah. with a broad brush and yeah. we're only one episode in. But <laughs> that's very true. That's very true. It's very early on. Um, so maybe we're jumping the gun a little bit on that assessment. But I think part of the problem isn't necessarily like, that isn't necessarily the way the flashbacks are presented in this season. I think part of the problem 
is that for a lot of really memorable flashback episodes, um, like Mr. Echo's um, flashback episode, uh, Walkabout, things like that, I think for a lot of characters, their flashback episodes are in and of themselves complete character arcs. And so that makes returning to them, even though there's new insight we can learn, like how John Locke ended up in a wheelchair or um, exactly what Kate did, you know, things like that, that fill in the gaps. Um, I think those are important and I think they can be just as compelling. But I think the main problem is a lot of people's flashback episodes, their initial flashback episodes are complete character arcs. And even though that makes for really great television in season one and two, I think it does put the writers in a little bit of a corner going, well, we've already seen that character arc. What else can we do? And so as a result, we get stories we already know or, you know, especially with characters like Jack where they get more flashback episodes than they probably deserve. You know, we end up going through the ins and outs of, you know, his divorce, which I don't necessarily think are necessary. This flashback episode is a dream compared to the one about his tattoos. Which is the single worst episode in Lost history. Okay, so. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. um, We are in for it. (laughs) On the island, uh, Jack wakes up. He's in this dingy cell. He wakes up in, well, this was what, 2006? 2007? Yeah, about that. Um, he wakes up in a Saw movie. Like, looking at the aesthetic. He's in a dark, uh, dingy room with a, a glass plate on the wall, chains hanging from the ceiling, and, like, with greenish, like, tinted lighting. I was like, this is a Saw movie that he's woken up in. I think about that, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> Just thinking about the aesthetic of that period of the 2000s, I was like, yeah, he's in a Saw movie. We eventually find out that it's an aquarium that he's in. Mm-hmm. We'll just say that now. Yeah, so that's we don't fair. have to talk about it later. <laughs> um, and this is where now Juliet meets Jack. Jack is, you know, screaming and yelling and pulling on chains. He's and climbing to, chains. He's climbing. The, he's literally trying to climb the walls in a way. <laughs> um, like a lizard. <laughs> and Juliet comes in and she's like, hey. She's acting all like calm and normal and just being like, like, yeah, get down from there. <laughs> hey, cut it out. <laughs> and he won't listen Stop to it. her because, Stop it. <laughs> as Juliet points out, oh, you're really stubborn. Yeah, you're not stupid, Jack. You're just very stubborn. Um, and Juliet is kind of a calming presence in a lot of ways to Jack's uh, madness yeah, in this episode. And that's her role. She is manipulating him. Yeah, um, and that's why I had a big problem with her. Um, you can trust me, Jack. No, you can't. There is a moment then. Jack is left alone again, and he hears a voice over the intercom. It's his father's voice. Now that, interesting. Now, You I'm, need to let it go, I think is what it said, right? Yeah. Now, she points out that, like, if he doesn't get some food and water in him, he's going to start to hallucinate. Um, We know that, like, 
people have seen things on this island that don't make sense. And they heard hear, things, and specifically heard things. from the dead. I think, if I may, I don't think this is the man in black at work. I think this is legitimately a ghost of Christian Shepherd saying you need to let it go. I, I go with that too. I completely agree with that. He's trying to calm his son down as well. Um, then again, it could also just be an auditory hallucination. One of the two. Which they... The fact that they tell us that's a possibility makes me feel it's not that thing. Same. Same. Uh, it makes me go, oh, okay. I, I still think it's Christian. Juliet comes back in because she's saying you got to eat something otherwise. She comes in with a fucking delicious looking grilled cheese sandwich. It looks real tasty. I want, I haven't had a good grilled cheese sandwich in a while. <laughs> it's been a bit for me too. I feel like I'm going to oh, go to the diner, get myself one. With some tomato soup and you dip the grilled cheese into the tomato soup and That's... then you eat it. Oh my gosh, it's the best thing in the world. So she starts asking him some questions. She's like, oh, what do you do? And he goes, oh, I'm a... Which I think I'm a, so tedious and annoying because she already knows the answers to all of these questions. Yeah, she's like, well, she wants to get him talking. Yeah. Like, it makes sense. It makes sense. It makes it still tedious, and though. Goes, I, I do like his answer, though. He says he's a repo man. <laughs> um, he says he was never married. I'm a people person, though. <laughs> but then he does get honest. He is honest about why he wasn't Sydney. He is honest that his father died. Yeah. So he, he... I think it's just one of those things where it's so personal. Like, it's like, why lie? Why lie about this in particular? So, Juliet is basically... And then um, when when he refuses to eat the grilled cheese sandwich, he's like, "You can have it." And then she like walks out the door after she after he basically because like she's like, "You can trust me." And then he, in a very trusting way, goes, "Just tell me what's going on." And then she walks out the door and eats the fucking sandwich in his face. And that's why I don't like her. <laughs> it's driving me. It drives me crazy. You don't like her because she's not willing to let a delicious grilled cheese sandwich go to waste? No, 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 no. Here, that's... It's just <laughs> the, the moment he decides to start talking to her and start confiding in her to be like, just be straight with me. She goes, okay, bye. I'm going to eat this in your face. It's fine. Juliet's withholding. Yes. Uh, and look, that's, she's got a job to do. And that's what is, it's so exhausting. It's not her, it's not the character's fault. It's not the character's fault. I would this say. This entire saga is exhausting. But like, she's a vehicle for so much stalling. And it just, it makes me so upset. It's not her fault. It's not her fault. It's not her fault. <laughs> I mean, I look, I, I, I think you're gonna see some more inner depth to this character than you. No, remember. I'm already seeing it. Yeah. I'm already seeing the, her sass and her spunk, which I really like. And like even her her back and forth with Jack, like, and she's like, "I'm a repo lady." Like, well, yeah, I was gonna yeah. get to that next because then she does come back. But it's it's in between these moments that are clearly meant to stall and drag things out, and it's just. It's not her fault, but she's well, see, but the chosen the vehicle this, for at it. At this point, I think you're projecting a lot of stuff we're going to know about her. Because I think in this episode, she plays it mysterious. 
I think in this episode she's effective in that we don't know because we know she's not thrilled with Ben already yeah. that I think there is a legitimacy to how nice is she being because she's trying to manipulate and how nice is she being just because maybe she's fed up with all this bullshit which yeah. is going to which look eventually she's going to leave the others and go go to the with our Peace I'm out. <laughs> so I'm bringing this book with me. <laughs> so I think I think we might be projecting things that we're going to feel <sighs> four episodes from now in this first episode because I think Elizabeth Mitchell is is very good in this episode at playing things close to the chest and I don't think that I don't think there's a better way to play. I think you have to play it that way at this point. She's a great actress. It is not her fault. It is not the character's fault. It just ends up being the vehicle in which this show's pacing comes to a screeching halt, but and I'm I, projecting it all on her. I would, and I know that's I would, not I fair. I would argue that's it's not, not the. Ve- I, I would argue it's not the vehicle yet. Okay. I feel like when you're watching this episode in a vacuum, you don't feel that way. We can't watch it in a vacuum. Is our thing. <sighs> we we have knowledge. Okay. Um. Sorry, I didn't. I don't mean to keep harping on the exact same points over and over again, but like. Oh, just like Jack's flashback. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that was pretty good. So, so she's like, "You got to eat, or you're gonna hallucinate." He goes, "Oh, you're a doctor," and she goes, "I'm a repo woman," <laughs> which is her way of basically also saying, "Yes, she is." A yeah, doctor I'm because, a doctor. I'm a doctor. Um, and he relents. I'm a doctor, and I know you're a doctor. <laughs> and he goes to like he's gonna sit in the corner, and you think he's like maybe she broke him. Maybe she is going to get, but no, not Jack. And you know what? I know that he's an asshole in this episode, but, like, I'm not going to lie. I was like, way to be proactive, man. You no, don't know you, you have can to, trust her. Yeah, you have to try to escape if you think you can. Uh, of course, where is he escaping to? He wanders into an equally dingy, weird... Well, he takes uh, her captive, and then, yeah. Yeah. And moseys out into the hallway. Uh, and he wants to open a door, and Juliet's like, if we open that door, we 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 die. And then Ben shows up. <laughs> Why was it so hard to say, if I open this door, water will come rushing in and it will flood this chamber? Jack wouldn't have believed Why it. Why is that so hard to Jack say? Jack wouldn't have believed it if she said that. I mean, Jack wouldn't, Jack wouldn't believe it. <laughs> I'm just saying. Still, you know he would still open that door. I'm just saying, I open it, we die, is a very cryptic way of saying a thing when you could use more precise language and say, this entire chamber will flood with water and we will then drown. <laughs> uh, so Ben sees him there and Jack's like, I'm going to kill her. And Ben's like, cool. Yeah. Ben <laughs> Do does. it. Ben doesn't care. Do it. I double dog dare you. <laughs> I know you won't. So do it, coward. <laughs> so they open the door, and uh, and Ben, ben, takes, ben off takes off running, running, and so does Juliet, and he closes the door on her. Oh yeah. man, that's so fucked up, man. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it starts to flood, and you can definitely tell she's thinking to herself, "You fucking asshole." <laughs> You could have held the door for me. And, and he's like, no, all part of my plan. But Juliet, you know, in this flood, is able to knock Jack out. Well, uh, they're able to uh, hit the emergency button. They do that first, yes. He hits, because she goes, the button, the button. They they establish it when uh, they're having their back and forth. He's like, what's that button for? And she's like, emergencies. You know, giving a serious non-answer. Well, why would you give an, why would you give an answer to your prisoner? 
I don't know. That's fair. But it still is frustrating. But anyway, so he presses the button to basically start the, uh, I guess, the, to release, the, to, to basically drain all the water. Yeah. And then as soon as he hits that button and it starts being effective, she punches him in the face and knocks him out, which I will I will go ahead and say is no small feat. Jack is a well-built man. Like, I imagine that would hurt your hand significantly, but she decks him hard enough to knock him out. And then she pulls him up out of the water because <laughs> she knocked him face down yeah. into the water. Yeah, you can't She's have like, him drown. Uh-oh. They need him. They we, need Jack. We need him. Um, well, Jack ben eventually comes <laughs> comes to, and she starts to give a little more information that they're in the Hydra station. He goes, "Oh, Dharma, you're part of Dharma. It's an aquarium. I get it. This and is where we kept the sharks with our brand on. Them. That's right. <laughs> sharks and dolphins. And Juliet basically in this conversation, like when he's talking about Dharma." She basically alludes to the fact that like, eh, I'm not I'm not Dharma. She's like, that was a long time ago. Like yeah. basically and, insinuating they're not around anymore. Yeah, and, and these people are not Dharma. Nope. They're not they're Julia. the others. Yeah. Um so then Juliet breaks out his file. Well, she's basically got his entire life laid out there. And she knows his background. She knows he's a spinal surgeon. And it's like, you know. She knows what hospital he worked at. How do they have this info? They're a very powerful organization. <laughs> um, I was going to say, are they being backed by Whitmore at the moment? Is oh, that no, what's no, happening? No, 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 no. Whitmore and Ben are, are they're, enemies. They're mortal enemies, but like, do we ever know why that happened? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I imagine it has to do with the Dharma Initiative stuff, right? Yeah, we'll get to that. Okay. But yeah, okay. So they're a very powerful organization. And uh yeah, she she knows basically everything about him. She knows uh, she she has his father's autopsy report, which is messed up. She then asks him, "Is there anything you want to know?" And it's like, "Oh, this whole episode Sarah's with wants to know who Sarah's with and the thing he asks about Sarah is is she happy happy? yeah which shows that he was able to let go of this obsessive desire to like control her well-being her life in death his father was finally able to reach him (laughs) I mean that's the tragedy of it (laughs) Um, um, but yeah, and you know, he just wants to know if she's happy. Jack's a little broken at this point. Yeah. Like, he's visibly small and exhausted, and he's he's broken. And Juliet walks out of there, and who she sees? She sees Ben. And, uh... He goes, good work, Juliet. Good work, yeah. And there's animosity between these there's two. so much animosity between these two, but she's still following gonna, orders. He was gonna leave her to die... He didn't. She didn't let him in the book club. There's a lot of problems. A <laughs> um, lot of passive aggressive jabs at one another throughout their their time on the island together. I will say to Jack's credit, one of the other things that made me really frustrated with a lot of Juliet's non answers 
is that he's inquiring about the well-being of his friends. And, like, she's like, oh, you're so stubborn. But, like, if I was in his situation, I would want to make sure my friends were okay, too. Yeah, but if I was in her situation, I wouldn't tell him shit. And that's fair. And that makes you the bad guy in this situation. Well, I mean, she's got... She's the bad guy in this... Yeah, why are you holding people captive, Will? So you admit she's the bad guy, so I don't have to like her. You don't have to like her yet? Yeah. But I'm just telling you... This is the baggage I'm, I bring along with me throughout the rest of the series. And it was just, I'm sure she's going to be great once she makes that turn. Once she's in a relationship with Sawyer, you have to love her. <gasps> I sure. love their relationship. I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's great because everybody tells me it's great. And you know why it's great? Because it's a, a relationship that shows legitimate personal growth for both characters once you get to it. I hope... That's how I feel. I on paper I can see it. I can see it on paper. But like I just the only thing I have to go on off of uh just off the top of my head is my feelings on uh, my memory of my feelings of it as it was initially happening. So I'm hoping that upon a rewatch I feel completely differently about it. So there are other people being held. <laughs> Let's talk about Kate. Uh, I really didn't like this either. Kate is uh, wakes up and uh, in like a locker room. Yeah, yeah, locker room shower. And they're like, "Kate, why don't you take yourself?" Interesting that we're talking about Carrie, and then we end up in a locker room shower. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that intentional? Probably not. But you know what? I feel like it's they're they're trying different methods with all these people. Yeah, and they're being kind to Kate. I have extremely mixed feelings on this whole storyline. But let, let's go ahead and go through they it. They give her the towel. Mr. Friendly is like, yeah, shampoo. here's a towel. Here's um, shampoo, conditioner. Um, and she's like, uh, that's friggin' weird. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. Because he is the first canonical gay character in this show. Yes. Um, which, uh, interesting. Uh, I think it's, I think it's cool. I just think representation wise, they should have had more. That's all. You know what? Uh, not to defend whatever, whatever, you know, because uh, there should have always been more representation for everybody, always. Uh, if the show were made today, absolutely. Oh, There'd be a course. gay couple on the, or a gay character, or they'd be like, There'd be more. Um, yeah. I, I will say that making him canonically gay was a huge surprise to me. Like, because just like he's this introduced as this big, bad, intimidating guy. And then you actually come to find out that Mr. Friendly isn't all that of an ironic name for him. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, like, so him being gay is something that I didn't expect just because i i was still kind of projecting big bad villain on onto him and granted they don't come out and say that in this episode but he does say you're not my type um so i i think it's an interesting choice so kate showers and they steal her clothes well they give her a nice uh pretty dress yeah but they steal her clothes and then he burns them because Ben's a bad person. Yeah, well, Ben is a bad person. Yes, he's a monster. 
Um, and she's taken to Ben, who is having a lovely breakfast down on the beach under a little cabana thing. Which, not gonna lie, anytime I try to have like a picnic on the beach or, or, or like a beach day where I'm like, oh, let's go relax by the ocean. You notice how windy it was in that in those shots? Yeah. <laughs> that is what it's like whenever you try to film on the beach. Yeah. That's why I don't go to the beach. <laughs> I've tried filming on the beach once or twice for like student projects. And I was like, who knew wind was going to be a factor every single time? So I just kind of laughed, like seeing how windy it was. It so made me happy. They have this fancy little breakfast. But he makes it put on handcuffs first. And she goes, well, what if I don't? And he goes, then you don't get any coffee. You monster. <laughs> And so she tightens up the handcuffs. So she also, much like you were saying with Jack, she asks about her friends. And she says, Sawyer first, which Ben, you know, knowing that he's going to put her, knowing he has to manipulate Jack, knowing that he's going to put her in a cage across from Sawyer, he pounces upon this little detail. Like, oh, why did you mention Sawyer first? <sighs> um, Tedious. And she's like, why are you? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's manipulation. I get it. I'll I'll discuss it when we get to the end of Kate's when we get to the end of Kate's thing. Um and uh she's like uh, why are you being so nice to me? Why are you feeding me? Yeah. yeah. And he's like he's trying to give you something nice because the next 2 weeks are going to well, be Well, unpleasant. she didn't say why are why are you being so nice oh, to yeah, me? Oh yeah, why? Why did you make me put on this dress? Cuz it's it's not a nice thing. Yeah. Um why are you trying to feed me? Why'd you bring me here? Like none of, she doesn't refer to any of these right, things as right. nice he things. He says nice. He's like I wanted you to have something nice and you're being ungrateful. He didn't say that, but like that's But the he's tone. saying that he's she's basically about to be put through hell. Yeah. That's basically the idea. So and that's kind of the end until we get to Sawyer's bit. But so can I can I mention about what I don't like about this? No. No. <laughs> okay. No. 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 Man, <laughs> okay. We'll just move on. Um, they. I know you said that they're trying different tactics with um, each of the people who have been captured. Um, with Jack, they present her with Juliet. Uh, him with Juliet um, to sort of try to interrogate him slash win his trust. Um, with uh, Sawyer, they just kind of isolate him, and it's kind of fucked up what they do to him too. Um, and with Kate, they they humiliate her in a way that they don't humiliate the men. And I think it would be fine if she was the focus of this episode. And if she got to be more proactive, like they objectify her. And again, these are the bad guys. They do bad guy things. So we could expect the bad guys to objectify her in this, or she's made to feel objectified. Yes. Um, so like we can understand that that's what they're doing because they're the bad guys. Um, but my problem with it is that both Sawyer and Jack get to be active in um they both get to try to escape they're like um they're both being proactive in their situations and even though for jack it's this madman folly and for sawyer he's also made to feel stupid um for his for his efforts but neither of them are being passive kate doesn't get to 
she doesn't get to be proactive. And I find that to be frustrating. It is the problem that the episode that she's the B story? No. I mean, is do, do you the, think do you think that My problem is that while no. while Jack and Sawyer get to actively try to escape their situation. No, no, no. I'm 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 saying that yeah. I, I guess I'm trying to make a defense of, of of screen time you have in an episode. My my problem It is a little ridiculous that both Jack and Sawyer escape and then are immediately Kate, caught by Kate, Juliet. Kate master person who is known for being a criminal on the run who has made a name for herself escaping captivity (laughs) is extremely passive in this situation and i do not care for that because this i think more than any other time in the series is when she is objectified the most where she loses so much of her agency and again i'm bringing baggage into this discussion so take this with a grain of salt if i'm proven wrong later awesome but i feel like this is where she starts losing her agency and she just becomes an object of desire that gets passed back and forth between jack and sawyer and i do not care for that well there's gonna yeah there's gonna be a little bit of that basically all the times Leading up to now, where I've said the writers couldn't figure out what to do with her, this is what I'm talking about. This is where they stop trying. And it makes me upset. Because she deserves better. So, um, Sawyer's in a polar bear cage. (laughs) This is so great. And there's a guy in a cage across from him. The guy's name is Carl. Who's also not answering any questions. The guy is Carl, if you may or may not remember, is Alex's boyfriend. I do remember. Um, but we don't know that yet. We don't know that yet. <laughs> um, Sawyer sees, oh, this food button. Let me push it. I'll get some. And it's like, warning. And he's like, huh, wonder what that means. Warning. I'll push it again. And the guy tells him. <laughs> I wouldn't push that button again. Or he doesn't say that, but basically warns him. Like, and hey. Sawyer's like, eh. Sawyer pushes the button and gets horribly electrocuted. Um, I was gonna say it probably would have been too bad if he was the the size of a polar bear. Um, you know, I. But he's looking around and he sees like different, um, differently color coded aspects of the interior of the cage so he's he's piecing things together sawyer's trying to figure out how do i get this food <laughs> without being i don't think he even understands what he's trying to yeah, do. yeah no i i don't think, I think he knows food might be involved i i think it's less of like i gotta figure out how to get the food and more like these mechanisms clearly do something I've got nothing but time on my hands. I'm going to find out what they do because maybe they open the cage. You know, Sawyer also is somebody who needs to be occupied by something. Yeah, always. he's a smart guy. Um, so... Carl starts asking him Carl's, questions. Yes, asking about the camp, asking about... And Carl, then he picks the lock and he gets out and he frees Sawyer. And basically the idea, Carl wants to go with them, I guess, but they run in different directions. I think the idea for Carl is that he's either like, 
we'll escape together or they'll go after you first. Yeah. It's one of the two. And either way, he knows there's a camp he can get to. Exactly. Where he might be a little more protected. Um, basically, what Carl's run into here, and we don't know it yet, is this is what happens when you're dating the boss's daughter. <laughs> yeah. And he doesn't like it. Um, so Sawyer runs in one direction, and he runs into Juliet, who, again, calm as can be. And there's this, it's so calm, in fact, I think it throws him off. He does. He doesn't know what to make of this person. And also, it's the future love of his life. <laughs> that um, was destiny at work right there, Will. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and she... So in his head, he's like, um, like music starts playing, like, why do birds suddenly Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what And then she shoots is. him. <laughs> she shoots him with one of those weird, like, taser electric bullets. Dar- yeah. yeah, electric darts. Um... They put Sawyer back in his cage. They bring Carl over to apologize for involving him in their, his plan. <laughs> Sorry I included you in my escape effort. <laughs> um, Sawyer then also, though, has a moment of triumph. When he figures out the puzzle. Figures out how to get the fish biscuit. He gets a fish biscuit, a whole bunch of polar bear food, and I was and some like, water. At this point, I was like, has nobody come out to feed him yet? And I found that to be upsetting. <laughs> Hey, that's a fish biscuit. And then they lock Kate up in the cell across from him. Where Carl was, yeah. Where Carl was. And they have some they have some moments of levity. They have a little joking around between them. Yeah. Uh Sawyer very charming. Hey, I requested that cage, but yeah, I guess you can yeah. have it. Like that's And he that's shares cute. his fish biscuit with her. He Which, throws it over. To I him. guess Kate didn't get a chance to eat any of the <laughs> food Ben was providing. Well, you don't turn down a fish biscuit. Mm, I guess not. You know what? If Josh Holloway tossed me a fish biscuit, you know what? You're right. I would not turn that if down. If Josh Holloway <laughs> tossed me a fish biscuit, I'd eat it. <laughs> So that's basically the episode. Yeah. Um, let's do our uh, Man in Black first. I feel like there's a lot to choose from. Well, I'm going to go the very in general uh, that I feel like it is a flashback that gives us nothing new. And um, more generally, it is Jack back on his bullshit. It is the reasons. I, this is This is peak why i struggled with the jack character and you know it's funny when i brought up those mentions of other shows with like tortured men that i love mad men or the sopranos like although those were some brilliant ensemble casts i feel like with Lost, there are so many more interesting people than Jack. <laughs> so then when we spend this much time... There's a relearn- frustration. Relearning yeah. things. And there's almost some idea, like, it's the season premiere, like... And I don't know how much of this is a network television thing in the days before everyone binged everything. But let's get you reacquainted with Jack. Like, I wonder if this is before... Every, I mean, shows came out on DVD and stuff, but people weren't really. This is before you can catch up on Amazon or Hulu. Yeah. And I wonder how much television writers, when you start a new season, we've been off 
for like four months now. We got to remind everybody remind what we're everybody. about. I, and I wonder how much it, it's a reaction to how TV was then and how TV is now. Now, I and instead of focusing on Jack, do you think this episode would have worked a little bit better if it had been a Kate or Sawyer flashback episode? Because both those characters have spent time in captivity. Like, it would have been... Because, like, I guess the parallel, too, is that Jack ended up in jail, but it's not like we focused on his time in jail. In yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a stretch. So, but... like, but I feel like, I don't know, I feel like more of a connection could have been made, and maybe this episode would have feel, I... felt less tedious if it had been a Sawyer or a Kate flashback. I think the Jack-Juliet thing is such a linchpin for what's to come that it has to be about Jack, but you're saying it because Sawyer and Kate are more interesting characters. And they are. I feel like they could. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, there, you, there's something there, There's something too that the, the focus on Jack and Juliet in this. They're laying they're, the groundwork yeah. for something. And, and it is something important but, for the arc of the but, season. Yeah, I feel like the flashback could have given us something richer. Um, but it didn't. And it did. so, yeah. like, I, I immediately go, like, well, which characters haven't had as many flashbacks? And look, we have two right here well, Kate, who are in captivity. We've got the characters who have probably had the, the three characters who probably have the most flashbacks, I would say. I don't know. Has John Locke had more than Kate and Sawyer? He might have had more than Sawyer. Kate's had quite a few. Um, but my... my uh, I well, should what, get what's, to my yeah, man what's in your, black. What's your man My man in black, black obviously is um, Kate's role in this i i don't care for passive kate i don't she's she's more badass than that and i feel like the character deserves better uh for my jacob i'm just gonna say i'm happy to see elizabeth mitchell <laughs> i'm happy to see juliet i think that opening is great and i think she's a terrific actress uh I always am thrilled when I see her pop up, and I wish she popped up more. She, she's probably in some show I don't watch right now that it's on some like on like the uh, <laughs> like the AT and T network or something, <laughs> and you can only watch it at like three in the morning on your on your Samsung phone. But you know, but it's I don't know. You know, there are all these. But uh, I think she's she's really great in this. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna give it to the cold open. Um, I think it's an excellent way to draw viewers back in after, you know, being off for several months. I think it's the thing in this episode that felt most like the product of Lindelof and J.J. Abrams. Like, it, it feels like the most of what was at home in this episode. Um, everything that came afterwards was a little lackluster and in Ben Linus's case with Kate, like, almost cartoon supervillain. Like, it just, it felt very out of place in a lot of things. Um, so I'm going to give it to the cold open, because that cold open uh, was enthralling. So with that, we begin season three. And with that... How, how you feeling? How you feeling? Um, I think, I think we're going to be spinning our wheels, but I think that, like, I mean, I love the cold open. Love Juliet. Love Sawyer getting fish biscuits. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of... Th I'm not... I, he I, looked so happy. <laughs> I'm excited because this is... The first part of the season is where I feel like this show faltered the most. And I'm curious to see how that plays on a rewatch. Uh, 
Uh, Megan, where can the people <laughs> find you? Uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T H E M E N G U I N. I also have a YouTube channel called Silver Screams, and I'm a member of Rooster Team Radio, where we talk about all things Rooster Teeth. Uh, we wrapped up with Ruby Redux, so go check that out. And we just uploaded a new episode of Welcome to Vale, so go give that a listen. You can follow me on Twitter at the Real Will Link. Uh, you can buy my book Crazy About Kurt, and you know you could just uh, keep listening to this podcast. You know we're at no love lost at no love lost pod Pod. (laughs) (laughs) so until next time see you in another life brother hey there everybody i'm will link of no love lost with me as always megan salinas hey everybody and we're here to talk to you about the podcast jukebox a DIY podcast network. Uh, yeah, the podcast Jukebox Network has been super supportive of us as we venture back to the island. Uh, and so we just wanted to take a minute to thank uh, them and to let you guys know that you guys should be supporting the other podcast put on by this fantastic network. If you are enjoying No Love Lost, definitely give a listen to many of the other podcasts many of which are far less vanilla than we are. Uh, 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 Off the Cuffs, which is kind of the flagship show of the network. It is the BDSM kink podcast that kind of launched this whole network uh, off. You've got the Goth Librarian podcast. You have Being There podcast, a great storytelling podcast. You have The Queers Next Door, also on the network. Uh, Proud to be Kinky uh drinks with god and a little podcast that's close to my heart megan what is that one called will sean podcast yeah will Hmm. he i don't know spoiler alert uh not as frequently as usual (laughs) but you should definitely subscribe to all these shows rate them listen to them on itunes yeah, definitely. Uh, these are all fantastic storytellers. It's so important to be sex positive. So go support these other podcasts. And uh, yeah, if you like us, you might like them. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. We're on the same network. <laughs> so yes, rate and subscribe to all these terrific shows. And don't forget to rate them all five stars. And also rate us five stars. Yeah, while you're at it, you're listening to us. Might as well give us a rating. <laughs> you're already there. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs>